0: Hi, I'm Jackie. This is episode three of our series, Faith, Hope, Love and Lament. Today we're talking about hope. Hope with a whole bunch of wrinkles. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast where we're having off the record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're gonna be asking hard questions dealing with real issues and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are gonna put words to your female experience. They're gonna ennoble you as Jesus intended, and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. In this episode, I want to share a little bit about my journey around this idea of hope. You know, after the election in 2016, um, my male church leaders went radio silent about the sexual exploitation of women by our newly elected president. And I was deeply disappointed. I even felt betrayed. I understood clearly that the evangelical support was largely due to this abortion issue, but I just kept thinking, you can't have a say over my womb and not give a damn about my body being groped or raped. That just isn't going to work for me. And I found over that Year and then moving into the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement, something was happening to my hope. Something I couldn't put words around. I just kept thinking about the enormity, the massive amount of women coming forth, and the longevity how long sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, violence against women it's been happening for centuries and centuries. And I started finding myself feeling hopeless. I kept crying out, why, Lord? If you're so good, why would you allow this to happen? And how long, Lord? How long are you going to let this go on? And it wasn't until Austin Channing Brown's book on racism, I'm Still Here, she gave me words. She finally gave words to my experience. You know how helpful that is, right? And she said that sometimes we have to go to Hope's funeral and let it die and sit in the shadow of Hope. For a while, expectantly waiting for hope to be resurrected again. A hope that would look very different than the one that had just been buried. And in the scripture, the word hope, it isn't about circum- circumstances or about some optimistic outlook. It actually has the concept of expectantly waiting in it. And the, this idea of tension in the waiting, tension until it's released. I'm learning anew about hope. And what I'm seeing is hope has two dynamics to it. It's, it's got clarity, like being real about what's happening. No Polly answer, Pollyanna answers here. We're going to be clear. We're going to be honest. And it also has social imagination, where collectively a people imagine together a better future than the present one. And that's exactly what we see in the Exodus story a group of people suffering from systemic sin. I know, I know, I know. We talk a lot about individual sin. But there's also this thing called systemic sin. And I had the privilege of working with Dr. Sue Russell. She actually has three doctorates and two masters, so I call her Dr. 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 Sue. And her and I had some opportunities to uh, teach together. And it was during one of those opportunities that she actually came to me and said, hey, do you think we could write a book together? And I looked at her and said, why, you need my help in dumbing it down? And she goes, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) She's an anthropologist and a New Testament scholar, and she explains systemic sin this way. I'm going to read the quote to you, so pay attention because it's a little long. She says this, between Genesis 3 and the Gospels, the population of earth increased and the relationships created in the garden grew in number and complexity. These relationships were formalized and became the social systems and institutions of larger, complex societies. They grew into religious systems, political systems, family systems, and economic systems. As these relationships grew in complexity, sin within those relationships became complex and institutionalized in society. This systemic sin is expressed in the domination and exclusion of people from benefits and resources offered in society. It is expressed in things like economic oppression, war, racism, poverty, slavery, sexism. These sins are justified by beliefs and ideologies that promote and reinforce the idea that one class of people is less human than another, less valuable, less worthy. That's what I was lamenting. Why? How long, Lord? I was lamenting about systemic sin of sexism and misogyny, and the Israelites, they were lamenting against slavery. They cried out, and it didn't fall on deaf ears. God responded. He responded by giving them hope. Remember that idea that hope encompasses clarity, being honest about the situation? He says, I've seen the oppression, how harshly the Egyptians have abused them calling it what it is, and then social imagination. I will free you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will claim you as my own people. I will bring you into the land flowing with milk and honey. There's hope. It's right there in the Exodus story. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God puts eternity in the hearts of people, and I take that to mean that we have this instinctive understanding that we were made for something better, like life was in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 and will be in the future garden, if you will, of Revelation 21. Every year, the Jews gather and celebrate the Passover, and they tell their Exodus story and tell it again again, and again and again. It's their gospel story. Jesus, who was Jewish and had brown skin and lived in the Middle East, gathered with his followers on the last night before he was betrayed. And he celebrated the Passover. And he instituted a new liturgy, if you will, for us, the Eucharist, you know, that states Jesus died and rose from the dead and will come again. And when he comes again, he will establish God's kingdom on earth as it already is in heaven. It's interesting that I find myself thinking more and more about hope. Actually, if I'm honest, needing hope more and more in my older years. And I wondered about why that was. And so I decided to talk to my colleague, friend, and board member, Ray Beefus, about it. Ray was a church planner and a pastor for decades, and recently, in his second half of life, he's become an executive coach. I find him to be one of the wisest people I know, And so I'd love for you to listen in on our conversation, which, by the way, I recorded before the pandemic. But oh, how appropriate for such a time as this. So, Ray, I called you the other day and we kind of started this conversation and I said, so tell me what you think about hope. Like, why do we need it? What is it? How is it manifested for you?
1: Well, one of the things that I've learned through traveling, and I've been going to Africa for about 30 years, is that the way prosperous Americans, North Americans, think about hope and the way people in poverty or pain think about hope is very different. And so uh, I've been in Africa and Zimbabwe particularly, uh, where there's 90% unemployment. It's the epicenter of the world's HIV, AIDS epidemic. And there, you can meet with dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of Christians. And when you bring up the hope of heaven amidst all their suffering and pain, they literally raise the roof in singing and prayer and fellowship around the possibilities that God will answer his promises or, or make good on his promises in the future. I think sometime in the 60s and 70s Americans, at least pastors, began to talk about the need to shift from pie in the sky and the sweet by and by and talk about the value of Christianity here right now on the ground. And I think that was a needed emphasis. But for people who are suffering, people who are living with shame, people in extreme poverty, the hope of heaven, the hope of God keeping his promises, the blessed hope that Paul talks about is a powerful motivator, a powerful comfort, and um, something, uh, the energy behind tenacity and perseverance and faith. And so, uh, So go ahead.
0: I've experienced the same thing, right? Traveling to South Sudan, same thing. You go to the church, and really, whenever there's any kind of praise and dance and excitement, it's around the idea of what will be, not what is. And part of that is that they understand their suffering has not only, because everybody suffers on some level, right? But their suffering has been long suffering. And as far as they can tell, and it's pretty accurate based on the data that they've experienced, it's not gonna get any better this side for them, right? They live underneath systems and war-torn countries that for decades, their life has been one of rape, running, living as refugees, coming back, trying to rebuild a mud house all over again, having it brutalized, being brutalized again. So it's there. The truth is they understand they're under long suffering. They have not seen the reality of it very much here in front of them. Right. So I've experienced the same thing you have traveling abroad. I was reading um, Walter Brueggemann's book called the history of hope, which by the way was amazing. That man is so brilliant. <laughs> but he talks about the fact that um, when we look at the Exodus story, when we look at Jesus's story coming, you know, the gospel, in the old Testament gospel, in the new Testament, um, God is providing hope to these people when they live underneath an empire that is oppressive, right? And that when an oppressive empire is working for you, you don't have a real need for hope. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think that's true. That um, I don't even think it has to be oppressive. Um, though empires are, always are oppressive to somebody, but to certain our- people. Yes, for, I mean, for prosperous North American Christians, we are on the side of power. And so until, until we suddenly lose our jobs, or we suddenly face the death of a loved one, or we suddenly find out we have cancer, both the speed of our lives, the amount of entertainment we enjoy, and the fact that we are on the powerful side of the law or of politics Shields us from both suffering and shame, which um, are often almost always accompany um, the mention of hope in scripture that God's people are both suffering under an oppressive government or their suffering lack in the wilderness and both pain and poverty produce suffering and shame. And so um, it's interesting how suffering and shame go together are often tied to poverty and power in how different people experience the world.
0: So what has your experience been then? Like kind of just tell me, okay, so we can talk theoretical, right? But like, how has hope played out in your life? What difference does it make?
1: Well, in my life, it's frequently been tied to faith as we find it in Hebrews chapter 11. And that is when I am stretching out in faith, when I'm uh, taking risks in faith. In decades past, it would have been pastoral ministry, where I was risking myself, um, even in preaching, uh, to go further or deeper um, than I normally would.
0: You're in high um, command. Right?
1: Uh, you know, it engaged hope that God will come through for me, God will be there on the other side, God will give me grace that I need. And so taking risks, now that I'm in business, it's uh, taking faith risks in business where I'm pushing the limit, I'm taking financial risks, I'm going to places that I don't feel fully prepared, I'm going alone, Um, whatever it is, those experiences where I'm stretching out in faith require me to place my hope in God's provision, God's promises. So in my experience, uh, if, I'm, if I'm living within my comfort zone, whether it's as a Christian or as a businessman or a business, Christian businessman, when I'm in my comfort zone, I don't need a lot of hope because I'm not pushing the envelope of faith. But when I do that, Then all of a sudden, my hunger for hope, my need for hope, and um, my, you know, my glance toward the Lord Jesus becomes fixed. I need him to keep his promises. I need him to walk into this and through this with me. So my experience, go ahead.
0: Let me me ask you this question. So when you say that, do you mean that... um, Because I can hear some people saying, okay, is he saying that he has to have hope in God's promises that you will succeed? That on the other end of this, there will be financial gain, that there will be um, notoriety for your skills. Is that what it looks like for God to come through for you, hope of his promises?
1: It certainly can include that, but it's much deeper and broader than um, financial success. It's that God will go with me. God will um, never let me go, and that no matter whether I'm successful or not, he will care for my needs, he will make sense of my confusion, and he himself will be there with me in the midst of the risk, the struggle, um, and um, the outcomes that may be successful or may not be successful. But uh, I think for me personally, it is the hope. That he will never leave me or forsake me. Yeah. No matter what I go through, he will be there with me in it. So, so it's, me, not, it's not just about financial success, not in my life.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or mine either. <laughs> um, what, if, you, if I had to ask you, like, okay, so in your younger years uh, of following Jesus, what do you think hope was? Um, how, how do you think your idea or concept or even experience of hope has evolved, if you will, from your younger years of faith to these older years of faith?
1: Well, it's very much tied to um, my strength and my sense of power. Uh, When I was younger, you know, as most young adults, as a Christian, I felt invincible. I was healthy. Um, I had a great education. It opened doors for me. And hope was not um, a dominant theme. In my thinking, my preaching, my daily conversations, but at sixty five I can tell you hope is a daily focus for me, an occupation. My thoughts go there regularly because i 'm not so healthy i 'm not so strong, uh, my financial needs and uh, you know are are increasing, and so at this age, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm doing well at 65, no complaints, but I'm aware of how fragile my life is. I'm, ra- I'm aware of how I'm no longer going to really reach goals that I thought I would when I was younger. Right. So now feeling uh, the kind of vulnerability that age brings, uh, as well as um, just the growing complexity of our world, economically, and politically. As an older man, an older Christian now, my thoughts turn much more often to to hope and God's promises.
0: And what about with your kids? Because you and I talked a little bit about um, there's a reckoning in vulnerability, so we probably need to go back to the idea of vulnerability being tied to hope, right? But also, um, so, so we'll talk a little bit about that. You can talk about it whichever way you want, but also I want us to think about you and I talked about our kids, right? We have older kids. Yours are a little older than mine, but, um, (laughs) and that invokes a whole lot of hope, right? Like a need for hope. So kind of talk a little bit about that.
1: I do think so. I mean, when our kids are younger, we, we live with the illusion that we can control them. And as they pass through adolescence, we're, we're disabused of that fantasy. We can't control them. And, um, whatever happens in our relationship is a, is a grace, not a given. And so now at this point in our lives, uh, you know, I've got uh, four married children, 13 grandchildren. And to me, it feels like we're going further and further out onto an icy lake where the ice is thinner and thinner. And I just think who's going to fall through first. And so, disabused of the fantasy that I'm in control of anything and anyone, mm-hmm. I must turn to God in hope and trust that He will be enough for them as He has been for me. But I think that that the metaphor of being in control or is the, the statement is tied to power when I feel powerful as an American, when I feel powerful as a Christian. When I feel powerful as an individual modern American man, um, I hope is uh, a, you know something that's a curiosity. Mm. But when I get in touch with my humanity, my sinfulness, how much God has provided and how much he's asked of me, how much the world needs from me, and how little I can actually offer, mm. then I turn to my father in hope.
0: Yeah. And that's vulnerability, right? It's an understanding of, I can't bring as much to the table as I thought I could when I was younger, right? Exactly. exactly. And that's actually the beauty of age. I call that a little bit of wisdom. I think that's wisdom, right? Like where you go, oh, wait a minute. This, I can't control all of this. this is, it's a, control is an illusion, right? right? Thinking you can make it happen is an illusion. And you come to realize that more and more as you age. Cause you've had to let go of things, whether you wanted to or not, you're having to now. you have no control. Like your body won't let you do what your body used to do. Right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So again, it goes back to power, strength, control. And as North Americans in our youth, we are easily tempted by the illusion that we can handle it. We've got it. We're fine. We're fine.
0: Here's what's an interesting thing to me. I, and I didn't, Throw this at you before, and if you don't have anything to say to it, that's fine. But as I've done research, even like tying it together in scripture, right? Like we have the first like hope that we see outside of Abraham, the calling of Abraham, is really the Exodus story, right? There's a, a people group that's being oppressed. Systems have been set up to play in to keep them there for hundreds of years. Um uh The system even wants the people to believe it's actually normative that they live like this and all of that. And we see collectively what we would call a collective public lament, right? People gather together and cry out, it says in Exodus 3, um, and God responds. And so what I see is that every time I try to tap this issue of hope, which I think is a lot bigger than I can even comprehend at this point, I think I'm just starting to grasp it a little bit is that hope seems to be always overlaid with lament. Um, that there's a crying out that is, is also a part of hope. That there's a point of crying out maybe even that helps us then, where we get to a state where we cry out because things are so hard. Um, and then we watch God almost bring us mysteriously this sense of hope. This, this, if you will, calling upon the memory of what he had said he would do, you know? Do Thank you God. ever feel like there's anything ever, oh, any overlay with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, again, that's where faith and hope come, come together and that's the mystery of it, that in the midst of our hardship, whatever it may be, it may be taxation, it may be unemployment, it might be a corrupt government in Zimbabwe, here it may be aging, it might be cancer, it might be the loss of a, a career unexpectedly. All of a sudden, we decide in the midst of our pain, our shame, our suffering, to turn to God in faith. And mysteriously, as you say, we begin to turn to his promises and we find hope. But it is in the midst of lament. Or at least if it's not voiced, it's in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: think we don't do a very good job about lamenting in America, right? We want to celebrate. We want to talk a lot about victorious living, which I'm all for. Like, I think those things need to be talked about. I wonder if we over-talk about them, though, and don't balance it with the idea that there's a whole lot of lament going on in the scriptures. And actually, if we're honest, there's a whole lot of lament that's going on in our lives, too. I just was talking to this woman yesterday, and we were talking about how, as as we've aged, um, we had to go through this process of like letting go of what we thought our parent would be. Like my dad, I had to lament, if you will, that this rightful desire of a daughter to have a good father who loves her. That's a, that's an, that's a, um, an ordered desire. I think of God, I don't think that's some selfish or ideal, ideal idolatry kind of desire, right? It's an, it's a God ordered desire and I, it didn't happen. And throughout my years, I had to lament, like let hope die there and get resurrected, you know? Um, And this woman was sharing, she had to do the same thing with her mom. And she said it, but it was really like the lament and letting the hope die of what should have been that allowed us to kind of move to accept the grace and grace kind of who our parents were and live with that, you know, this and, and for me, this idea of, I, I hold on to the idea that in Colossians, it says, God will reconcile all things. And I love that statement. He said all things, right? So I'm thinking to myself, things with my dad are not going to be reconciled on this side. They're not. He's older. He's mentally ill. He's now got Alzheimer's. It's not going to happen. But if God is true, his promises, and I'm going to hold them to it, then that means that on the other side, there will be some full reconciliation between my dad and I and the rest of the family. What do you think of that? This idea of lament, hope, and that actually letting hope die sometimes in lament allows us to live in the reality in a very hopeful way. It, it doesn't make, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe, well, no. you know, I think actually it does.
1: It makes perfect sense. And I love listening to you preach. <laughs> But I do think that when we're younger, we put our hope in this new career because we're gonna be able to buy nice cars and buy a nice house and uh, start a family. Or that We put our hope in America, we put our hope in our health, we put our hope in our parents. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as we age, one hope put in man after another is disappointed. And until we, we decide that we're going to put our hope in the one who has promised to bring all things right, to reconcile everything, to redeem everything, re- bring the renewal of all things. And so I think that's part of aging is, um, you know, just sh- uh, changing the focus of our hope. Uh, to We're
0: almost forced to, don't you think? We go, oh, I'm 50 now. I think I'll just give in. It, it's a bending and a bending and a bending. It seems like that has to happen. Although,
1: yeah. that, you know, that's sometimes made easier by our faith. If you look at people who who marry, divorce, remarry, divorce, remarry, divorce, I mean, they're just not getting it. <laughs> you know, they're putting their faith in, in whatever. And the same thing with debt. You know, we borrow and we borrow and we borrow to get more and more and more because we've not been disabused of our hope yeah in stuff or in people
0: yeah true 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 okay so if you had to say um oh i oh, two more things i want you to think of like a summary statement hope is and um and you can't say jesus christ because of course it is the scripture tells us that but what do you mean when you say that right like But before we get to that closure statement, um, I wanted to know, and now I forgot, because here we go. Here's this, come back to the word. What was it that I wanted to ask about hope? It's really, really good and important. See, how's this? I'm giving you time to think about your sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't remember what it was. Oh, well. It'll come back to me as you start your sentence. If you had to say, Hope is um, what would you say? And well, what do you th-
1: mean? you know? I think I would think like faith. There's an intellectual and emotional and a physical dimension in that. Hope is the confidence in God's promises. That gives me peace in the moment, and propels me to continue pushing into the future expectantly.
0: Did you work on that? Because I didn't get to that ahead of time. That's a good statement.
1: <laughs> I went to Dallas Seminary.
0: <laughs> I did too, but I can't come on. I can't even find my words. That has nothing to do with <laughs> it. Thank you, Ray B. Fisk, for helping us understand a little bit about hope. Talk to you later.
1: Bye, Jackie. All the best Bye. to you.
0: I hope you found that conversation with Ray as informative and helpful as I did when we had it. I just want to close with this. You know, we find ourselves in a very unchar- unchartered territory right now and we're experiencing loss, all kinds of losses, loss of life at unbelievable rates. Jobs are vanishing before our eyes, small business owners struggling to stay afloat. I could go on and on and on. And I don't, Want to be a Pollyanna here or a Debbie Downer, but the truth is, some of the loss is going to stay lost on this side. But I'm holding on to God's promise in Colossians 1:20, where He says He will reconcile all things and make all things new. I'm counting on that. And I feel like, just like He gave glimpses of hope, to the Israelites while they're journeying toward a better future. Remember the manna he gave them and the cloud. These glimpses of hope that what he said he is doing, he is in fact doing, it's going to happen. I feel like he is also giving us glimmers, glimpses of hope too. Doctors and grocery store clerks and bus drivers, people purposefully checking in on each other, Heck, even every once in a while, there's still some toilet paper rolls left on the shelf. I take these to be glimpses of hope as we sit in the shadow of hope, waiting. So let me close with this benediction from Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to be talking about love. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.